There's so much passion within this organization about what we're building, why we're building it, and the impact that it's going to have, that the people here are truly some of the most remarkable and brilliant people I've ever worked with in my life. Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science around the globe. Hello, everyone. It's Alex Merwin from AWS, and I hope you are well. Have you ever wondered how technology and compassion can come together to transform cancer care? Today, we welcome Robin Shaw, the co-founder and CEO of TimeCare, to the show, a company that collaborates across the cancer care community to improve access, experience, and outcomes, all while lowering the total cost of care. We'll learn how TimeCare was incubated during the pandemic the unique patient experience that they offer, and how TimeCare is scaling its impact by attracting and developing top talent. Let's dive in. Well, I'm very excited to welcome Robin Shaw, the co-founder and CEO of TimeCare, and Finn, his trusted assistant to the podcast today. Welcome to both of you. And Finn just turned 11? Yes. Okay. That's great. Finn, can you tell us a little bit more about you? You're a golfer. I'm a golfer. Very uh, cool. From Los Angeles. From Los Angeles. And how long have you been working with Time Care? My mom has worked with Time Care and with Robin for six years. Wow. And what does your mom do? His mom was one of our first employees. So Ben's grown up in the company and now he is a pro in oncology and in startups. Wow. Well, I'm really glad that you're here to join us today. So Robin, maybe we can just start and you can share the story behind the creation of TimeCare. So what was your motivation to start this company? Yeah, no, thank you, Alice. Thanks for having me on uh, this podcast. So I have been working in the oncology marketplace for uh, nearly 15 years. And I started my career actually working in an oncology practice. Uh, my father is a medical oncologist. My little brother is a medical oncologist. My older brother works in oncology. And so when I started working with my father in 2007, started to learn about a lot of the things that oncology practices and the oncology ecosystem uh, needed from a, a problem-solving perspective. That actually led me to Nat Turner. Uh, I met Nat Turner and, and Zach Weinberg. They started a company prior to Flatiron called Invite Media, uh, but were tech entrepreneurs in, in the ecosystem and were starting an oncology startup in 2012. And I met them very early on in that journey and decided we had very like minds and wanted to solve similar problems. So joined Nat and Zach in uh, 2012, really early at Flatiron Health and, and ended up uh, spending five years at the organization, saw the company through its exit. Uh, but about a year before the company exited, realized that there was an opportunity to partner and build something with some of the greatest oncology practices uh, in the country. And so launched a new company alongside a, no a number of great leaders called One Oncology. That's actually where I met Finn's mother, who uh, worked with me at One Oncology from 2018 until 2020, when we started Time Care. And the reason we started Time Care was given this was uh, One Oncology was my third stint in the oncology space, I started to get a lot of phone calls from people all across the country saying, Robin, we know you've been working in oncology or cancer for 10 plus years. 
we know someone or me or my friend or my colleague has been diagnosed with cancer. They don't know what to do. They're struggling. Uh, would you be willing to talk to them or talk to me? And I ended up turning into a navigator. And on a biweekly basis, someone across the country was calling me and asking me for help. And in 2020, I called a number of my former Flatiron colleagues, and most specifically, co-founder and chief medical officer, Dr. Bobby Green. And I said, we've got to solve for this problem. I'm sure you experienced the same phone calls. And so in 2020, we set off on a journey to build a company to try to help people who are navigating through a cancer diagnosis. And we didn't know much about the space. We just knew what we wanted to help people. And that was really what uh, Time Care was born out of. And did you say June or January 2020? We started incubating the company and the concept in early 2020. The company officially launched in July of 2020. Mm -hmm. The people who work in this industry are doing it to make an impact. I left advertising technology to join health innovation because I wanted my career to have greater social impact and, and help improve people's lives. But it's interesting to hear your story. You've been in the space for 10 years and I get it. At the end of the day, someone calls and Robin, I'm scared. I got this diagnosis. I don't know what to do. You're the person I know who works in this space. What can you do to help? And really real world data and next gen therapeutics and these things, they matter from a population health perspective, but that doesn't really help you in that situation. And so I, I definitely get the drive. What was it like starting this company in the middle of the pandemic? Yeah. So a little backstory. I actually just got married too. Don't, haven't you heard this thing? Don't do more than one life-changing event at, at a yeah. single time. Yeah. 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 You, you if it. gets a chance to look up, actually, Finn's mother helped plan my wedding as I did a surprise wedding where I surprised my wife that uh, on the day of our engagement that we were getting married a few hours later. And I told Finn's mother, her name is Ginny, I'm going to need your help to plan this out. And we did an awesome, awesome event with 150 people here in Nashville. But shortly after that, we got hit with COVID and we were all locked down. And I was still you know, full-time working at One Oncology. Our organization at One Oncology did not lock down the same way as other businesses, meaning I was still on the road on a routine basis. But the world had shifted to the openness of virtual meetings, which changed a lot of the dynamic for someone like myself in regards to time. And I ended up finding myself thinking about this problem, parsing through a bunch of data that I was given from health plans or health insurance companies and started to realize in the summer of 2020 that this problem that we wanted to solve for was actually a problem that health insurance companies and oncology practices experience. And we started to really noodle on this idea of if we want to help people and we want to build a business, how do we deal where everyone wins in this scenario? And because we were virtual, we had the ability to, to iterate and move quickly and do things at odd times during the day and during the weekends as we were incubating and all working in different organizations. And as we started to present this thesis to a potential partner or client, and they said, yeah, this makes sense. We quickly got investors excited about what we're doing and all started to mobilize towards this idea or concept. Uh, and have you retained that 
remote or hybrid first culture with how you operate today? How are you currently structured? Yeah, we call it hybrid first, which means we have two offices. We have one in Nashville, which we're sitting in today. Uh, we have one in New York City, which is in Soho. Uh, and every single person that joins Time Care gets a remote workstation. So they get a stipend to build up, buy a nice camera, get a desk, get a standing desk, get a nice chair. And you have the option on a daily basis to either come into one of our locations or work remotely. And so right now, we're about 140 to 150 people in the company. Uh, I would say on a daily basis, they're on average, maybe 10 to 15 people in the Nashville office and a half that in the New York office. But we try to get together on a routine basis, maybe every quarter or every six months as a company and or a leadership team. Uh, but a lot of times you'll see four meeting rooms here filled up with people that are Zooming to each other because there are four remote people. And they want to make sure that they don't experience that interaction differently. And so we're very thoughtful about how people interact to make sure we're effective for folks that may be remote or may not be able to access an office. So beyond that norm of laptops open when we're in the room together and maybe we're not in the room together, so there's not the meeting after the meeting, right? Yeah. Say following that. But what other things have you learned? I, either things that have worked really well, things that didn't, as you've been iterating and trying different modalities of work. So number one, I would say the thing that has unlocked our ability to grow so quickly is we can capture talent all across the country. We've got people in 20-ish states and we've set it up so that there isn't glitches in the technology. Everyone gets a stipend for a dedicated Wi-Fi network for time care work. They're not sharing Wi-Fi with a partner or a colleague or anyone else in their home. They have the ability to just focus on their work at Time Care. Uh, I would say the second thing is we've created this normalcy around building your own schedule and being mindful of what your schedule is. And some people wake up early. That's when they operate. Some pe a lot of people at Time Care have children. And like myself, I have limited availability from 5.30 p.m to 8 p.m. because I'm with my two and a half or three-year-old. and But I'm available after that. And so the norm is uh, respect people's boundaries, but ultimately be available to be able to do your job when you need to. That's one of the critical things in regards to this working environment. I would say the second thing is we've created this culture where if you want to come in person, you have the ability to do that. Uh, as well as if you're remote, you have the ability to come to one of our offices. And we've set up an experience where if you want to do that or bring your team in to do that, where we're very open to it and there is access to that in the company. That's great. Thank you for entertaining my curiosity. Everybody's trying different things. And so it's very useful to hear from you what's working and, and, and what hasn't. But let, let's shift back to the core offering from TimeCare. Uh, can you, you know, bring TimeCare to life? for our listeners. So I think the best way to do this is from the perspective of the patient or the member. So what is it like? What is it like for a member when they experience what Time Care offers? Yeah, so go, going back to the genesis of the company and that phone call of people all across the country, if you think of the people that are calling us, they're not people that don't have access. They're not people that are not educated. They're not people that don't have uh, the capital to be able to do it. It's just a complicated system. And so if you think of a patient journey, someone is told or is experiencing some adverse uh, event in their body 
where they're told that there's something odd going on with a test or a scan. And in some instances, they're told by their primary care physician or a specialist that's not an oncologist that they may have cancer. That is likely the most vulnerable time in any cancer patient's journey is that time when they're told you might have cancer. And so we're trying to get to people as fast as possible within that window when they're told they might have cancer. And the idea is how do we get you to the right place as fast as possible to get you the answer to what's going on? And a lot of times that answer is there, but the system delays that process. The system makes it take 7, 10, 15, 20 days to get that answer with you going to a number of different physicians or providers or testing facilities. And so one, how do we streamline that process? And and that is something that time care does. We hope that once you get through that, you don't have cancer. But in the event that you do have cancer, the next thing that happens for people that are told you have a confirmed cancer diagnosis is there's a shock of all the things that I need to learn very quickly. I may be employed at this time and working full-time. I may have children. I may have young children. Uh, or I may be older and have a number of things going on in my life. What is this going to change? And how is this going to change my life? Not only clinically, meaning what is this diagnosis that I'm told that I have? And what are these treatments that I've never heard of that I'm being told I need to start this week or next week? But what does this mean financially for me? What does this mean behavioral for me? What does this mean from a life-changing perspective, from a transportation, from a socioeconomic? So all the things that are going to happen non-clinically, I need to have someone that I can resort to. And so, again, bringing time care to life, we are there to be a, a patient or a, a member's trusted partner through that entire journey non-clinically. And so every member enrolled in our program gets access to a care team pod that care team pod includes care partners, our non-clinical staff at Time Care that work full-time here, that are there to guide you through non-clinical things that you need. How are you going to get to your appointments? I have five different appointments in the same week, seeing three different doctors. How do I coordinate that between everybody? And then you have each care team pod as a clinical team. So oncology nurses, complex care nurses, nurse practitioners, and doctors. And that team is assigned to that member to guide them through every aspect of what they need throughout that entire journey. So that is how to bring time care to life. Uh, All of that team is virtual. All of that team sits on a software platform that we have built internally called Timebox here at at TimeCare. And that software platform generates and delivers insights to our team to make sure that they can provide the right resource or the right information to that member at the right time? And how can we proactively identify things that could happen? And how do we make sure that we can communicate through various channels? So some members may want to do a phone call. We've built that directly within our application. Some members want follow-up text messages on content and appointments that they're seeing. So we can text directly to our application. Some members want may want an email. So we can do it directly to their application. Some members want to, may see their care team so they can video conference directly within our application uh, to a member, talk them through what's going on. Uh, so that's the way to bring time care to life. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like you have a lot of flexibility on the messaging channels, depending on the expressed preferences of the members. 
Uh, what's the first engagement? Does the provider provide a, a QR code to download the application? Well, what does it look like for the initial intake? And then I appreciate that later in the, in the process, if I want to have a call or if I want to have a telehealth consultation, the platform supports that. But what does the initial intake look like? Yeah, the answer is all of the above. We will meet a patient or a member where they are. And the idea is to make sure we can educate them on who we are and what support we provide. And so we have providers who will enroll them into our program and say, hey, I think you'll be a great candidate for time care. And member will call us or provider will call us and tell us, here's the member. Let us either patch you in or here's the phone number. They know who you are. Please give them a phone call. The second is they may call their health insurance company who are currently our clients and say, here's what I'm going through. The health insurance company will say, you're a great candidate for time care. Call this number or patch us in or, hey, time care, here's a member, please call them. We may send a mass text message out to a bunch of people educating them on our service, letting them click on that text message, which opens a web application that says, here's who we are. And then they can interact via text message email or they can call us directly or vice versa from there. Sometimes within that application, within that text message or web app, they may say, I'm available from 5 to 7 p.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We will activate or call them at that time. And or they may say our best form of communication is video conference. We'll do that with them. So we meet people where they are to make sure that we can uh, get them enrolled and engaged in our program uh, when and how they need that. Have you been able to quantify how much you've been able to reduce the time to diagnosis. As you mentioned, that's the most vulnerable part of the journey. And you mentioned in passing that you you do some work to help decrease that time. So I'd be curious to hear exactly how you do that. So the interlock either to the provider, maybe it's as simple as just being more efficient with care navigation, but that would be a challenging interlock, particularly as you scale. And then in any proof points you have on, on how much you've been able to reduce that time. Yeah, so I'll talk about metrics and data from a macro perspective and how we think about it. So we're looking at everything from patient satisfaction, enrollment, and engagement. Time to diagnosis, time to treatment uh, are two key metrics that we track, uh, as well as uh, how do we really think about the impact for a member? What, you know, what are the things that happen to a cancer patient through that journey include everything from uh, cancer patients are in many cases taking toxic treatments, chemotherapy, and there are a lot of side effects to those treatments. And it's a common thing that cancer patients end up in the hospital or getting admitted. And so there are measures around admissions per thousand of members that we're uh, working with, and then bed days, which is days that they're staying in the hospital per thousand. And then the key metric that we're tracking around our clients, who are the people that actually pay for the service, just to call out, we charge patients nothing for our service. So we are, when we started this company, we knew that you, we did not believe in a business model where cancer patients were paying for our service. And so we partner with health insurance plans uh, who pay for the service on behalf of their members. And so we track something around medical expense reduction for the people that are within the health insurance plan. So these are all the measures that we track. Uh, there's a lot of complexity around the way you think about measuring those all the way from the type of diagnosis, uh, the acuity or the risk score of that person or population. And so a lot of that, we uh, we have recently put a, a paper on some of our results out to an, an organization called 
the American Society of Clinical Oncology Quality Symposium. There was one that was an abstract that was submitted on our data in at the end of 2022. And we have a new one that's being submitted uh, uh, right now that'll be submitted on uh, here soon for 2023. And so uh, that's sort of how we think about measures, tracking and, and outcomes. Uh, but a lot of that data I would point to is just what is published out there in regards to our work and our intervention. And then the last thing I'll mention is the work that we're doing actually has been studied for the last 15 years. And so uh, in pockets at, at very reputable academic centers across the country, so Stanford, the University of Alabama, Sloan Kettering have all done interventions around navigation and care coordination, similar to time care. Uh, but we've built the model around scalability and technology advanced. And, uh, and so the data in those models have also shown amazing outcomes on patient, patient satisfaction, patient outcomes, as well as medical expense reduction. Great. And we'll put some links to those abstracts in the show notes so people can go see them. And I appreciate that the, the answer is it depends. It depends on the patient population, the type of cancer. And so people really need to dig into the details for that. Let's talk a little bit about the go-to-market strategies. You just mentioned that it was very important to you from a values perspective, not to charge the members directly. And so you've gone to payers. It'd be great to hear how your work at One Oncology and Flatiron Health influenced how you thought about go-to-market. This is one of the most challenging things for entrepreneurs. It'd be great to hear a little bit about the thought process you went through when you were deciding on your go-to-market strategy and just exactly how you might see that changing over time. Yeah. So answering from the lens of how do we think about starting the business for other entrepreneurs that are looking to learn from our experiences, uh, we started to think about that journey. So going back to that first question you asked is like, what is the member or patient journey and we thought about all the people or all the stakeholders that are involved within that. And when you think about it, there are three major stakeholders within any member cancer patient's journey. It starts with them as the cancer patient or their family or caregiver. The second is it's the providers, so the people that are delivering the care. And then within our system, it's the person paying for all of this, which is the health insurance company. And what we looked at were which organizations have the appetite or the ability to, to generate a business model around? And when you think about the patient lens, our perspective was cancer patients are vulnerable. And to think about a service that they're going to need, they're going to want, and not everyone can access that. And so you start to minimize your total addressable market by going to people that that need or want your service, but can't pay for it. But if you think about those people that can't pay for it, they're actually the ones who need it the most. And so you go to the next stakeholder, which is the physicians or the providers. And in the current ecosystem that we live in today, the physicians uh, are not compensated for the work that we do at TimeCare. And so for them to ask someone else to pay for it would basically be saying that they're paying for this service. And we thought, we want to build a model that also doesn't impact the people delivering the care. And then as you look at the data shows that if you apply what time care does, our intervention or our work, the person that actually benefits the most outside of the patient experience and the outcome is the health insurance company because their cost goes down by us providing that service. And so our thought process was go design a model that can convince the health insurance company 
to invest in something that will downstream drive them value. And the, that was our go-to market approach. And we did that by really parsing through the data of every one of these stakeholders and understanding the pain points of all, and then deploying a model around that. Are there certain types of payers that are a better fit for your immediate offering? And how do you stratify the payer population? Yeah, so we have five segments of our business on the payer or client side. The first is the commercial health plans. So these are fully insured commercial health plans that take populations of effectively employees like ourselves and, and subscribe and take full risk as a health insurance company. We have clients in that space. The second is Medicare Advantage. These are over 65 that have effectively elected to go to Medicare Advantage versus traditional Medicare. The third are what we call primary care risk enablement groups or provider organizations that take risk on behalf of Medicare beneficiaries. And an example of that is in Oak Street Health or an Agilon or a Wellvana. These organizations partner with providers and then they, primary care physicians, so not specialists, and then they take risk on behalf of a population. We've identified that they also have similar pain points to commercial and Medicare Advantage plans. The fourth are oncology practices that determine that they want to participate in risk-based models. And the fifth that we're launching in 2024 are self-insured employers. So in large employers that manage populations of people that need this type of support. So those are the four or five clients that we go after. We are working in four of the segments today. We're going after the fifth in 2024. Robin, what advice would you offer to other entrepreneurs when it comes to deciding who to hire and when, right? So you've successfully raised your Series B funding recently. So you're a few years into the journey. How did you think about your first hires you brought on just in your first six months? And then how have you major hiring decisions in the last six months? And how has that changed as you scaled? Yeah, I really appreciate that question. So if it's possible for someone, given their experience and background and prior uh, work, what was successful for us is that our first hires, for the most part, were people that we had worked with together. And so our head of operations, our head of engineering, our head of data science, our head of people, we're, we're all former colleagues and they all joined early and they all did everything together. So we all got our hands dirty on growth, on people, on operations. It didn't really matter. There was no clear lines. It was all of us working on the problems together. I would say if that isn't accessible or available, my guidance would be to hire general athletes, people that are willing to do anything and everything in the early stages. So the first 10 or so people with some subspecialty focus, right? We're a tech enabled service. And so we needed some people that knew how to build software and understand data, which is required early on. But we had a lot of general athletes that did a little bit of everything. How that translates now to post series B is we feel very fortunate that we are attracting some of the best talent in the country. And our mentality is uh, disciplined to growth, but bring in great people that are going to advance the company. And so we really take a thoughtful approach around as great people approach us, how do we make room on this team without the worry of hierarchy or how it will 
impact others because we've built this tight-knit culture of we all want to build towards a great mission. And if there are great people out there that can help towards that are like-minded, we'll find a way to make it work. So that's how we've operated over the last six months. That's fascinating. So it's a very people-centric view versus an organization-centric view or a competitor-centric view or even a product-centric view and trying to staff back from it. You, you really, you want to be inspired by someone and then you will find a way to incorporate them to advance the mission. Yeah, I always say, and we have an amazing people team and an amazing head of people here at our company, is that our mantra is, if you find the right person, we'll find a way to get you in this company no matter what. Whether it's you need to take maternity or paternity leave first, you need to take it during, you need to wait six months, you need to run something out with another organization. And so a lot of folks within our company have been so passionate and excited about time care. And we felt the same that we adapted to what their needs were to make sure that they had a soft landing into the company. And we as an organization took on that work product until those folks can come. What we found is that people engaged early. You know, People that are not starting for six months got involved for four hours a week and then the next week, eight hours a week and then a day a week or two days a week until they fully got ramped up. And so the day they fully started, they knew everything about the company and they were immediately productive. Uh, so we've got a lot of people within that category, given there are so many people excited about the mission that we're set out to build. Of course. So what are your aspirations for time care in the next few years? What milestones do you aim to achieve with the team? Yeah, look at a macro level. Our, our major milestones are get out to as many markets, to as many people as possible. And ultimately, we're building a business, and that business needs to, as I mentioned, generate value for its clients. And so uh, we feel very confident about some of the new studies that will be put out there here soon, but also some of the historical ones, that what we're building is driving a lot of value. And we want to continue to prove that for all of the stakeholders that we mentioned. The, the member, most importantly, are the patient, but also the providers, as well as the health plan. And so over the next 24 months, it's really about showing that what we're building is working and that every single patient that gets enrolled in our program has a better experience, has better outcomes as, at a lower cost. So Robin, when we wrap up today and you go tuck into some delicious Tennessee barbecue, which I would really like to have some of that, and you're thinking back to our conversation, what question are you going to wish that I had asked you? I think the thing that I always like to highlight or the question I wish you'd ask is what is it about the people here that brings us together so well and why? Uh, and I'm going to answer the question while I actually asked it to you. Uh, as I mentioned, I think there's now 14 people, so roughly 10% of the company from that came from Flatiron Health in some capacity. So whether they're on the management team, they're operating within the organization, they're on our board of directors or investors, and I'll tell you, it, it goes back to what we were talking about a bit earlier, is there's so much passion within this organization about what we're building, why we're building it, and the impact that it's going to have, that the people here are truly some of the most remarkable and brilliant people I've ever worked with in my life. And I encourage anyone to, to really think about the way that they're looking to build as building with people that are like-minded to themselves. And 
And another sort of mentality we have here is we're supportive of anyone's career journey. And whether they're here and want to advance and learn other things, or whether they're here and they want to learn outside of our organization, we support everyone no matter what. And that has worked out to our success. That's great. Well, good luck as you advance your mission to help improve care navigation oncology. It's sorely needed. It was wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much, Robin. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you, Finn. Thanks for joining us today for the AWS Health Innovation Podcast. If you want to get in touch with AWS, please check out our show notes where you can find a link. If you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is to share it with your colleagues and friends. We also really appreciate your reviews and ratings wherever you listen to podcasts. We love hearing feedback from our listeners, so please don't hesitate to get in touch. Again, you'll find all the details in our show notes. See you next week.